0: Hi, I'm Carrie Butler and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at keributlercoach.com slash Broadway Podcast.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: Penny, who just couldn't stop the beat, yes, with roller skates on her feet. The who loved to be, of oh, course, it's reason. want to welcome my very special guest, Robert Horn, today. We have a long history together, but right now he is represented by Shucked on Broadway, the hilarious show. Last season or two seasons ago, he was represented on Broadway with Tootsie. He's done tons and tons of TV work. Welcome to the show, Robert Horn.
1: Thank you, Carrie Butler. This is so exciting. We do go back. Uh And I have been watching your success for years now and how you're thriving and just expanding your creativity in so many ways. And I love seeing it.
0: I love seeing it. Year, yeah, years ago, Robert and I and Laura Bell Bundy. Did you meet Laura Bell on a, an airplane? I
1: met. I had gone to see hairspray. I'd gone to see hairspray, uh-huh. and the day, and literally that night, I went to the matinee. I think or whatever. Maybe it was the next day. Whatever it was, or that night, uh-huh. I uh, got on a plane to go back to Los Angeles, where I'm where I'm based, and she had a boyfriend at the time in Los Angeles. Yes, and she uh-huh. got like still in her makeup from Hairspray <laughs> and got on a plane and sat across from me. And I said, sorry, I just have to say, I literally just saw you in the play this afternoon and I think you're wonderful. And we started talking and if anybody's Laura Ball Bundy, say, hi, my name is, and you're her best friend. And so, and yes. so that was, that's how our friendship started. So Laura Bell met you on the plane, yeah. then you started
0: we started working on a pilot together uh, and we went out to places and would pitch it. Yeah. And so they, everybody out there like you literally never know.
1: <laughs> it's so true. Where
0: your break is going to come from. <laughs> on an airplane. <laughs> like that's the perfect example. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Even though it didn't go anywhere, it started this great relationship. Um, between all of us. It,
1: it did. And you know of course I you know you know her from Hairspray, correct? You had not known her before that. Did you know her from
0: No, yeah. yeah. We became best friends in Hairspray.
1: Yeah. yeah. She, you got you two were very close, I remember. Um and that yes. I mean and then the other connection with, we still are. With, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. She tells me all the time. And the other <laughs> connection that you and I now have is Jack O'Brien. Because <gasps> yes. Jack O'Brien did Hairspray and, and now just did shocked and is just she is the best. The best, a legend and yes. an icon. Yes.
0: I did I got to do Catch Me If You Can with and you him too. You did Catch Me
1: with him, you can best song, best song in the show. You just <laughs> rocked it in that show. Jack is he's he's in he's amazing at comedy because he's so grounded in drama and he knows how to yes. put the heart. It he's comes so, from very a true place. True place and you know he know he loves and trusts the actors and the material and he's just he's <laughs> like just do what's written, just do what's written. And, and he's, just, yeah. he's trying to, so we share that bond as well. And another bond is Eddie Perfect.
0: <gasps> yes. Who, and I, who's
1: writing a music, who he and I are writing a musical together right now.
0: Amazing. And he wrote Beetlejuice.
1: Yeah. Um, Broadway is such an ins, insular sort of, uh, it is dense world. Uh, un, unlike LA where, You could go months without seeing anybody you know. On Broadway, there's, uh, you know, I always say there's 15 square blocks in New York City that is my family. And
0: Yeah, and and when I was there, I saw you, right? uh I saw
1: you (laughs) as
0: I came into Shocked. You were there in the theater. I was like, oh my God, hi. You always
1: (laughs) run into That's why you always have your makeup on. You always run into somebody. (laughs) you know, just uh, within 12, 15 blocks. It's a really, and I love that, and I miss that very much.
0: So I want to get to talking about Shucked, but first yes. everyone who's on, I always like to ask in their journey to theater. Like, did you, um, how did you grow up? Did you grow up loving theater from an early age?
1: I, I grew up loving theater was always my, my passion, my heart. So I've told this story before my mother, when I was, when she mm-hmm. was 19, was Ed Sullivan's secretary. A lot of people don't know who Ed Sullivan is, but Ed Sullivan was the mm-hmm. most famous man in America, and he had a weekly variety show on television where there were three networks. Um, and and literally like seventy million people across the country watched it. He was one of the most famous men in the world. Um, and my mom was his, worked with him, and she worked with the theater, the Broadway act that would be booked on the Ed Sullivan. So she was a, my mom was a theater girl from way back. And when I was a very young kid, she would take me to theater. Literally at five years old, she'd take me to my first show, which I think was Mm. Fiddler on the Roof. Um, And it just, something ignited in me. Um, I also was a little gay boy. And I would watch, at that time, there were things like the Judy Garland Show was on CBS. Uh And I I mean, I was very young, but she has pictures of me like this watching it. (gasps) And she would take me to Steve. My Fair Lady and Sound of Music and all these big musicals oh. that came out, movie musicals. And I, was, I grew a love for this, for this art form. I knew at some point I, I wanted to be in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, that's, that was how my love for theater started. I was surrounded by it. So then what happened? Then, so then I, we were living at that time. I mean, I'll, I'll do the condensed version because so mm-hmm. we were living in, we were at that time uh, I had, we were living, I think in, in Connecticut. Uh, I had, we were, I was from New York and then we moved to Connecticut and then my mom, um, we struggled financially. We, we were really poor and my, we ended up moving back to uh Brooklyn to be near my grandparents. Uh, and then my, my mom just struggled with, with a lot of things. And, 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 um, it was, you know, it was a very different time, and the family struggled. So we went into family counseling, and that it was through an organization called the Jewish Childcare Association. And we did that in order to have we had if we had family therapy, they would then give us help. So they would give us a housekeeper, they would give us money, they would help us because we were on welfare and it was very poor. And ultimately, right. my mom suffered from she suffered from depression, which is not uncommon. At, just in those days, they didn't know what it was, so they would just medicate right. you and knock you out. They didn't know oh. how. To. It wasn't part of the conversation. It wasn't in the zeitgeist. It was, there was a stigma to it, actually. And ultimately, um, they ended up taking my twin sister and I um, to, to go. To go, I, They sent me to live in an orphanage, and they sent her to live in a group home. Um, and so this, I was about nine years old. I went to live in this orphanage upstate in Pleasantville, New York, an ironic name, oh. um, called Pleasantville oh. Cottage School. Um, and I lived there until I was about... I was there until I was about a little shy, just a little shy of 14, like a little over 13. Wow. And I was like, I'm out of here, man. Screw this. And I ran away and ran back to New York and lived on the streets of New York um, Wow! At, at 14, 13, 14 years old. And it was fantastic. Oh, my Again, gosh. As I was saying, I've said this before. It was such a different time in New York. You could survive in a way you just could not now. Um, I originally lived in what what's sort of called a group home through this organization, mm-hmm. through Child Care Association. So, some somebody rich donated two apartments in Elmhurst to this organization, and there were like twelve beds in this apartment. And for about six months or eight months, I lived there. Um, and then I made just lived. I made some friends and lived on people's couches. And then at mm. about fifteen, this, I've told this story and I love this story. I was like, I, I need to get an apartment, and so I was walking around the village. And there were these guys playing chess out on the street in front of this building. I didn't know at the time, but it, they were, let's just say they were, it, they were mobsters. And I said, <laughs> Hey, is anybody know of an apartment for that? I could rent. And this guy said, come with me. And he, it was, he showed me an apartment on Thompson street, Thompson and Houston. He said, can you pay the rent? It was like $95 a month. He said, you put the rent under my door every month. You cause no trouble. Nobody knows you're here and I'll give you the apartment. And I got my first apartment on top, on top 164 Thompson Street and, um, that, and lived at 15 years old on my own, living in New York, had to go into theater, second acting, everything. And then I think I've told you this when I was about. How did you, how did you, how did you make money though to pay the rent and everything? Some things I won't tell you, (laughs) but. Oh my gosh. You know, you do what you have to do to survive. And I I I did things that I'm like not proud of. I, I did all kinds of stuff, but then I also did like, I was a, I was a messenger, you know, like I I was. uh, Uh huh. I got uh-huh. a, the way I was a roller skating waiter. Uh, I, I sold <laughs> I sold black beauties to NYU students so they could stay up when, when they were taking their, t- which was like speed. Um, I, oh, my gosh. And, you know, New York had a city work program at that time, which was they pay you minimum wage was like three fifty an hour. And, wow. you, and they would place you in a job. And I got a job working the front desk at the Martha Graham dance studio. It was just, I know it was crazy. The most exciting thing. Then I got a job working for the environmental protection agency, testing the air for pollution, like these crazy jobs you would get. Um, And then I started waiting tables. I worked at Serendipities and yellow, all these different restaurants around the city and struggled to try to make it in, in theater and be a playwright. And it didn't happen. And I, and I, I eventually my mom who I had reunited with moved out to, had moved out to California back in like the mid seventies. And my twin sister had then followed her out. And I said, you know, this was now the age crisis. You, you have a twin sister? I, I have had a twin sister. She died three years ago of pancreatic cancer, oh. but we were very close. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and then, thanks. And, and then, and so. Did she go to the orphanage too? She went to another place in Mount Vernon, which was more, it was like wow. a group home. So where I went, there were like 450 kids. Where she went, there were like 25 wow. kids in a house. Wow. So she, it was just that you go wherever you're, it's called placement. Right. You go wherever yes. a bed opens up. The place I went right. to was a little more strict. It was a little more uh, uh, institutionalized. Whereas where she went to more of a home where she could yeah. go to public school. I couldn't. So it was those kind no of No way. And so uh, I ended up back in the, you know, the, the AIDS crisis has hit every had hit. I was just losing my people were just, crumbling around us. It was a horrible time. Mm. The city, New York went into sort of a financial depression. I couldn't get a job. And I just said, I'm going out to California and, and just going to mm-hmm. stay with, hang with my mom and my sister who had moved to San Diego. And I did. And then I moved to LA about six months later and, sa- and I was about to move back to New York and just got a job in television, started writing television. Uh, what I, was your first television job? The first job I got was, a, it was some I, it was some show that like lasted three episodes on the left. It was called Five Up Two Down. It was with um, Diane Carroll, and, uh, oh, and wow. it, was, it was basically a remake of a show called The Mothers in Law. Uh, and then I got another I got another I just got a bunch of shows. How did
0: you How did you get it? Did you have an agent at well, that point? Here is what
1: happened: is I was struggling to be a writer, and I had a really good friend who is now Howard Sussman, who's one of my best friends in the world, who does the costumes for Dancing with the Stars, and. Uh-huh. Had a friend. He had to come out to LA to do costumes. He was on a show, I think it was called Moonlighting. He was on a show at that time. Oh, yeah. And he was at the beach and he was hanging out with some friends. And he said, one of his friends said, Man, I wish we had a joint. And he said, Oh, you know what? I bet my friend Robert has a joint <laughs> because I <at> thought <laughs> those days I always had a joint. And this group of people came to my house to get a joint from the beach. And one of them worked at CBS as an assistant to the head of current program, which doesn't matter, but, and we started talking and his name was Danny Margosis and he said, I'm trying to be a writer. And I said, I'm trying to be a writer. And we wrote, he he said, let's write a pilot together. And we did And because he worked at the network. They had had to show them anything he wrote. They had the right to it. And he showed Uh it to this wonderful executive named Joe Voci, who's no longer with us, who was very successful executive. And he said, I like this. I'm going to give it to a couple of agents and see what they think. And literally within a month, we were signed with ICM, had our first agent. Oh, my gosh. And, got a, and started going out and getting TV shows. And then a year or two went by. We were doing these shows. We just couldn't get that big break. And then I was we struggling. And I finally said, I can't do this anymore. I need to get a job. And I enrolled in Marinella Beauty School because I was going to be a hairdresser because I said, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> and the night, true story, the night before, I got a phone call that changed my life was the night before I was gonna start my first class in Marinella Beauty School and it was designing women. And they called and said, we'd like you to come in and and take be part of the staff. Uh, and that was my first job. Oh was,
0: my gosh. When
1: it was it was nineteen that's, a, that's an incredible
0: story. Yeah. You you
1: never wrote your story. No, I'm gonna do it eventually. It's so hard Yeah you, know, you have to when you're close to it, it's very hard to do it. So um, I and I said and you know it was always like I'm gonna go back to New York, I'm gonna go back to New York. And then we got on Designing Women. Within about a year, um, I ended up running the show be- through a whole series of events, which I won't go into. Um, ended up and working with, uh, there was a, I mean, y'all you you all people need to look these people up because these are legends. There's a gentleman named David Steinberg, <laughs> who was a very famous stand up comedian and actor and then director. And he was directing Designing Women, and he said, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to run a show. I'm going to teach you how to edit. I'm going to teach you how to cast. I'm going to teach you how to be a showrunner. Yeah. And this man took me under his wing and taught me. And that was and that was my first job. My old writing partner and I ran Designing Women for the last, like, two, two and a half years of the show. And then from that, I got on a show called Living Single, which be, was the first um, African-American mm-hmm. sitcom that was yes. female-empowered. It was Queen Latifah and... Fields and Kim Coles mm-hmm. and Erica Alexander. It was an incredible show, created by a legend of television, a um, Vet Lee Bowser, who was just um, uh, awarded uh, a lifetime achievement award from the WGA. and And then my career just kind of started. Then I got my own show on the air called "Living a uh, High Society" with Gene Smart and Mary McDonald and Faith Prince. And then I got an overall deal at Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and it just sort of grew. And I said, "Well, I guess I'm in L. A. now." And all I wanted to do was theater. And the last part of the story I'll tell you is that wow. so I got a phone call at Warner Brothers to meet a very famous producer named Bob Boyette. Bob Boyette was part of a team called Miller Boyette. And they had created, they had like six shows on the air, Full House, Family Matter, Step by Step, all incredible shows. Mm-hmm. And I met with him to team up to do a pilot, which never happened, but he became one of my best friends. And he then came to New York. 10 Tony awards later and became the legendary producer Bob Boyette. And he called me in and he, he knew I wanted to do theater and gave me my first job in theater. And that's how I. Started.
0: What was your first job in theater? What um, was your first job? So in my theater? first
1: job he gave me was Dame Edna. It was Dame Edna, the Dame Edna show.
0: Oh yes. I
1: remember and that. Then, yeah. Um, so he, he, yeah. So he gave me and Tom Schumacher who's the president of Disney theatrical, gave me an opportunity, which I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to talk about because I kind of helped with the show, uh, helped, you know, make it a little funny. And oh, so okay. then he gave me, so Bob gave me right. the Day Medina show, and then he gave me another sort of infamous um, Broadway show called Lone Star Love, starring Randy Quaid, which kind of went down in history. as one of the biggest yeah. fiascos. And then he gave yes, me, and then the he stories. said, I'm doing a show called 13, the musical, and would you meet with a composer named Jason Robert Brown? And I did, and that's sort of what happened, and then it went from there.
0: Yeah. I loved 13 too. So, so great.
1: Yeah. We just did the movie on Netflix, which is a whole other story.
0: (laughs) I know. I have to see the movie. I haven't watched that yet, but I loved the show so much. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No
2: purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So let's talk
0: about shocked for a minute. I mean, shock full of (laughs) jokes, like so funny, but then like really heartfelt at the end. Really, really great message. And you had been working on that for a long time, (laughs) right?
1: So it started back in 2012, 11 or 12, I got a phone call. There was a show on television for, for like 25 years called Hee Haw. And I got a call from the Grand Ole Opry through my agent. Would I, would I be interested in making a musical out of the TV show Hee Haw, which was a variety show. It was sort of like 10-second skits and musical country music guests. It was sort of a blue-collar uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing, if anybody knows that show. Anyway, so I was like, yeah, I wanted wanted to work in theater. So I was like, and I love Vaudeville. I love that sort of fast-paced comedy. And so uh, I said yes, and I wrote an outline, and then they asked me to go to Nashville to meet with songwriters because they knew they wanted somebody um, authentic, not somebody from the theater world trying to write country-inspired music, but actual country Mm -hmm. artists. And I went, I met with a bunch of people, and then I met with Brandi Clark and Shane McAnally. And I, the minute we met, we fell in love. They were both um, proud out uh, um, gay artists in a in a in a in a country music in a world where that was uh, in short supply. Uh, I loved their music, their their storytelling in their music. I loved their vibe. We all laughed the first meeting, and I uh, and I could, knew that they could get they understood my comedy, um, and they were funnier than I was. And so we met, and we did a and we wrote a show, and we did it in Dallas in two thousand fifteen. And the show just never found its story, its heart. It just, we just, I don't know. It just wasn't right. Maybe it was a little because we locked to source material. And so we didn't really write yeah. the show. That's what I,
0: that's what I, that's what I loved about it now that you weren't, uh, mocking. Cause uh, you know, so many people do mock Could, that kind of, uh, thing. And yeah. I, I, and we need to come together
1: now. And that's well, what I felt what you What happened did. was after that Dallas production, we just let it go. We just said, you know what? We're done. Um, and then about three years later, the world changed. And politics changed, as we mm-hmm. know. The country changed. And I started mm-hmm. just seeing mm-hmm. the, the division and the vitriol that started to happen. And, and as you know, I'm married to a Southern man. know an incredible Southern man, John Leverett, um, who his family is very... Conservative, Southern, ideologically opposite from myself, and 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 so and yet our families, myself and my mom, because that's all that's left. But at the time, my sister um, and he and his family loved each other, and we were brought together by this. And mm-hmm. we we never we stopped talk. We didn't talk about what we didn't have in common. We broke bread together and loved each other because we were mm-hmm. family. And I knew from that there's a way that, that it, I, no, neither one of us tried to change the other one's minds. We just loved each other yes. because of some, some things and in spite of others. And I wanted to write about that. As, as, the, world was, as the country was just getting more and more aesthetic and divided, I called Shane and Brandon. I said, we got to go back to this, man. We've got we've to talk about this. This is horrible. And, and, I, and we did. And I, I came up with this idea to write a show about a town that had closed themselves off from the outside world because they did, didn't want anybody coming in, telling them how to live their lives, wanting to change them, which is sort of where mm-hmm. the world had gone and don't tell us we're wrong and you're wrong. And I, I mm-hmm, needed a way to, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be heartland America and I needed a way to close them off from the outside world. And they were farmers. So I said, we'll use corn. And corn sort of became a metaphor because the show is <laughs> sort of about, when you learn to open your heart to people who are different than you, you can you can grow. You cannot grow. Until, so the corn dies at the beginning of the show and comes back to life at the end of the show because people open their hearts. And so it's sort of been a, it's a metaphor for that. And and that's where the show this version of the show started.
0: I love that so so much because I did think that I was really surprised actually at where it went. And I love, I didn't know that there was a personal story connected to that. And I just love that so much because I feel the same, same way. Like my family, you know, is very Republican and like, how do we love each other and get along in spite of our, you know, the differences. It's a
1: challenge. Um, and what I also felt was I didn't want to hit anybody overhead with a message. You, and you didn't.
0: You didn't. That was one of my favorite yeah, I mean, things, too.
1: I, what yes. was really important to the composers, to all, the whole team, Jack and the composers, and 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 our incredible producer, Mike Bosner, who literally has changed the way shows are marketing on Broadway. It's a, he did an amazing job, which, which I want to talk about. Oh, yes. It but was l- so funny. We, we yes. knew that what we wanted was people to just have the best time and then walk out of the show, and the next yes. day... Let it really hit them what that was about and what that meant, Mm -hmm. because I don't think people want to be lectured to anymore. They're tired of that. We're we're injured. We spent a year and a half, two years. It's such a dark place. And it's not just that people want to laugh. They just don't want to be told how to think. And, and I think, and we find, we find our, I'm a firm believer that we find our tribes. We find our community. And, and that's what the show is Mm -hmm. about community. And so, We just wanted to pull that all together in a way where, where it was, one of the great things about this show and about Mike Bosner, our producer and and Jack O'Brien, our director is they let me write the show. I wanted to write. I mean, it wasn't often. You're just noted to death and everybody has an opinion and it's such a collaborative art form. I love, but Mm -hmm. they never stopped me from, I'm like, I want this to be a joke fest. I want to exhaust people with comedy for a moment, and get this gorgeous ballad, or get this really this moment filled mm-hmm. with pathos in between the humor, where you and and they let me do that. And Jack is a is, is just a genius at how to how to how to make sure that you when the audience needs to breathe, when the audience needs to think, when you just want to keep them roaring. And so it took ten years, but we got there.
0: Yeah, and and also I just love that you know so many times they say like. Liberals yeah. talk down about people in the South, or and and like I feel like this is a show that everybody can go to, and no one's going to feel like you're being made fun of. It's like we're different, and we can love each other and get along and <laughs> laugh together.
1: Thank and it, you. It's, it's
0: so much. You know, what's it was needed really now. important
1: to us, all of us, that we never condescend to any of these people. That we create tr- people yeah. that are yeah. that have lives and are characters and are real people. And they say, I mean, we sort of play with both the tropes of both city people and country people, but in a, yes. in a very, very yes. loving way. You know, there's a line in yes. the show. I won't, I can, I don't like to, I don't like to talk about the jokes of the show outside of the theater because I think it's a sacred place where the comedy lives. And if people coming in already knowing the punchlines uh-huh. or the jokes, it's not funny. Yeah. There's a lo- line yeah. that our lead character, his name is Bo says to this guy who comes from the city and thinks he's thinks they're foolish people and he's going to be able to fleece them. And he turns around to me and says, you know, just a little bit of a warning. We may be simple folks, but there's a cornfield of difference between simple and stupid. And that's a simple mistake that stupid people make. And I, I wrote that line because- I, to say, I love that line. Just because people might not live in the same world as you, have the same educational experience as you, whatever it is, don't be fooled to think that they're, that they're stupid people. Uh, don't be fooled think, it's just yes. you know there are people who work with their hands there are people who work with their heads there are people who work with in many different things who have just as rich and cultured and live in different ways your culture may be different than my culture but that does not make it that doesn't mean it's not culture and so it was really important to all of us that we got that message across in this show and then we make it accessible you know what's I, I love it and you people you come to the actors they line up you know at the stage door and they say to the actors, people from the heartland of America and the South, and they'll say, I never felt represented on Broadway in a non judgmental way. But that was my family. And I love yes. that. Yes. Yeah.
0: I love that too. I love that too. Because that is the way that you change hearts by just welcoming everybody and embracing yeah. everybody. Um, I, I love that so much. Uh, so my podcast is for like um, people trying to break into the business. Um, do you have any tips, like even for say performers who want to become writers in the business or people who are, you know, sitting on a script and have no idea how to start? Well, and listen,
1: I, I, I talk a lot to the the next generation of, of artists, because I think it's really important that we pass our knowledge and what we've learned onto the next generation. So they understand the tradition of theater, but, um, but also, bring their own, um, generation to it and their own interpretation of it. Uh, the thing I always say to, to everybody, whether they're performers or writers is you walk into that room or you open up that page and you're going to bring something that nobody else does. You are a unique creature, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. So first of all, I always say, don't look at this business. This is a competitive business, but you're not competing with anybody, but yourself, because you're is, is gonna those same lines that you're going to come in or that same song that you're going to sing as everybody else, you're going to do it in a very unique way. So don't try to conform yourself to what you think anybody else is because you will lose what makes you special. And what makes you special is what make you, will make you successful. The other thing I say is don't, if you really want, love it, don't give up. Everybody's journey is different. Don't compare your journey to anybody else. There are people that make it right out of college and there are people, I didn't get my first job until yep. I was in my 30s. So you never know mm. what your journey is going to be. Do not compare yourself to anybody else. And the third thing is if you're a writer, write what you know. That doesn't mean you have to write your life. It means you have to write, the, I write comedy, for example, and I see, but comedy only works if it's grounded in a place of drama, if it's grounded in a place of conflict. So write what you understand your life to be, your life experience, the prism through which you look at life. Always write, there'll be fictional characters, it'll be a fictional situation, you don't have to write your biography. But write it in the way that you view, your, the, view of the world. And then you can interpretate how a character might view the world through that prism. Same thing for an actor. As an actor, you have to inhabit a character, but you have to bring your talent and who you are to that. And that's what's going to make that character come to life, or that scene, or that character pop on the page. And the other thing I'll say is, it is a business of networking. So. Be Mm -hmm. as, as much as you can, you know, people will reach out to me all the time and send me messages on Instagram and saying, Hey, I saw your show, blah, blah, blah. Can you, can you give me some advice? Can you, don't be afraid. Don't stalk people because that's really bad. But social media, (laughs) social media is a very (laughs) interesting, I found some really talented, I've cast and found some really talented people just by seeing their TikToks or their Instagram. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible medium used correctly and honorably. That can give you a lot of exposure. Take advantage of that. Reach out to people whose work you respect. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Show your audition for everything. Be in anything. Write for free. Do what you have to do to get your work out there. Because like I said, it's a competitive business, but you're competing with yourself. Nobody's doing what you do, but there's a lot of people doing it. So just make sure you get seen. And that's all about it. Success is a serendipitous meeting of of uh, timing and ability, of luck and ability. You've got to do the work and do the gra- and be ready for your opportunity, yes. and then you got to hope that opportunity comes. Because when it does, you get one shot, and so you have to be ready for that. Study your craft, yes. know your craft, know yes. the history of your craft, know the actors and the writers that came before you, the plays and the musicals that came before you, who and learn from that and interpret and 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 so anyway. That's what I say to people.
0: Amazing advice. Everyone, write all of that down because that was such good advice. Do you ever, now, now you're auditioning for Broadway theater. Do you see any like mistakes that, that
1: actors make when they come oh, in the room? That's an interesting, That's it, yes, interesting. You know, I here's, here's what, I, what I like to, when we audition. I, I love to see people who have made a choice. It can be the wrong choice but you want to see that people Mm -hmm. are thinking because then, Mm -hmm. you know, often we'll say, Hey, can you try it this way? And then obviously what you want to do is see somebody who knows how to take direction and could try, don't aren't locked to a performance, but free enough to make a change in the room that. So I, I, I would say walk into a room with confidence. You can always tell when somebody comes into a room that isn't confident in their own body and their own being. And, and, they may be very mm. talented, but what we'll sit there and say is they're not ready. They're just not ready. Uh, there's like, when you walk mm-hmm. into a room with confidence mm-hmm. on who you are, not cockiness, but confident, we right. feel that, and we want to work with you. Be, uh, n- you can walk into a room, and everybody behind that table might have a sour face. They might have been sitting there for six hours <laughs> hearing the same material, material, over. but be who you are and win them over you every every audition is uh-huh. a chance to show the world who you to show people who you are um and then the 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 other thing i'll say is you know is that is that you just audition for everything just don't don't yes. don't be scared just tr- you never know and you never know why you don't get something you may not get a part for something yes. that has nothing to do with you what a lot of actors don't know is Auditions are a negotiation for all of us. I want someone who's funny. The composers want somebody who can sing a certain way. The music director wants somebody who can do this. The choreographer wants somebody who can do this. And you barter. You say, okay, look, I love that person, but fine. I, we'll have to pass on them because you need somebody who can also dance and who can also do this thing who's a, t- a tenor or a bat. You're, you're negotiating. So you might be the best person for the world and not get it. Purely because we also need somebody who can do something else that may not be your forte. So, but I'll remember you for another show.
0: That, so no one's ever brought that up on the show. And that is so, so true. Even if you give in on one person, then it could be, oh, it's their turn. Now they have to give in Correct. for your person, right? It's, it's like a negotiation it within the there team. there are certain
1: roles that like, maybe there's a role that has a little less singing or a little less dancing, but a big comedy role. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, okay, Robert, that's... Who do you uh-huh. want? Because it's really, there's an incredible character actor in shock named Kevin Cahoon has been on Broadway for many, many years in television. Oh, yes. and he is, he got nominated mm-hmm. for a Tony and he's a star and he has a little bit less of a singing role than some of the other characters, but more comedy than almost anybody. And so I put, I said, when he came in and auditioned, I said, this is not a negotiation. I want him. He, he, <laughs> he, um, uh, and, and so everybody will say, yes, there are other roles. There are people I was dying for. And, and, the, and Jason Howland are incredible music directors that they just can't sing what I need. I need somebody who can sing t- a tenor or a soprano or in a way that they're just not going to be able to sing that track. And it broke my heart. It would break my heart. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So it's always a negotiation. So interesting. Uh, Actors don't know that. They'll be like, I thought I was great. Why didn't I get that And I promise you so many times it has nothing to do with whether you're good or not.
0: Last question. Do you have any advice for your younger self?
1: Oh. Use use aging cream earlier. Start using aging cream earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Starting (laughs) in your 20s. (laughs) Uh, You look um, great. um, But, uh, you know, I I will say, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound, I I don't want this to come out wrong, but I I was very lucky that, you know, my mom struggled in a lot of ways, but when I was a very young boy, like, and I remember this, like six or seven years old, my mother pulled me aside and something had happened and I was very sensitive and I was crying. And she pulled me aside and she said to me, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be different. She knew I was gay. She knew I was artistic. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're going to be different and it's going to be hard. But don't let anybody tell you it's not wonderful. She told me that at a very young age. And because of that, I never didn't have confidence. So there's, in a sense of Mm -hmm. telling myself, you know, believe in yourself and all that, I always did because she told me that I was different, that I was special.
2: And I mm. hope parents,
1: any parents that might be listening to this, tell their children the same thing, that you may be different. You don't worry about what anybody else thinks. You are special. And yes. it changes the way you look yes. at yourself through very difficult times in your life. So I always had confidence. I always believed in myself because my mom believed it. So really, mm. you know, I, I, I don't know that there was probably nothing about my journey that I would do differently because it got me here. And I also know along the line Yes. Is, To get in that door, and how many people never get the opportunity to do it, and every day I am thankful for the chance that I get to do this because people with so much more talent than I have sometimes just don't get that chance because of whatever reason, and so I I, just—I mean, I—I yeah—I would tell myself use age age aging cream earlier so you know wrinkles around
0: your (laughs) eyes. Thank you so, so much for, for being with us and sharing all of that incredible information and knowledge. And um, I adore you. Thank you for being with me.
1: Carrie Butler. this is such a thrill. I'm so, I love your success. I'm so happy for you. You're one of the most talented people in this industry. We share a love for Disney, which which we know. Which yes. have, and um, I'm so honored that you would have me on your on your show. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a masterclass or a talk back, please reach out at kerrybutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast and want more episodes, please go to bpn.fm slash Breaking Broadway and subscribe, like, or share. Together you and I are Breaking
2: 18 plus.